Hey, Matt Gurney here for Jen Gerson. This is the Lions Experimental Podcast on a difficult, uh, busy, and for many emotional week. The passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Canada now has a king, King Charles III. What is this going to mean for us? What will this mean for history? What will this mean for some of the very dumb arguments you can just tell people are itching to have out there? On top of that, we'll also be talking about Ukraine and Russia. I think the Russians are in a lot of trouble. We'll be talking about the RCMP, an institution that needs a little TLC. We'll be talking about the conservative leadership race and how that's been impacted by some of these big news stories. This is the Lines Experimental Podcast. Jen, uh, nice to see you. You're in a hotel room. You're at a, you're attending a conference out east, which is lovely. Here I am back at, as normal at Starfleet headquarters. So this was a week. Um <laughs> So our, our listeners should know this. kicking off, let me tell you. Yeah. And we'll, we'll mention this in our in our written dispatch. On Tuesday, just after Labor Day, we had a, a dispatch where we said, hey, we're back, ready to go. We ran our first pieces scheduled on Wednesday. And then the biggest news story of the year, and it's been a pretty big year, happened. Um, I I know that people will, will probably object to that and say that the invasion of Ukraine is the bigger news story, and I would say it should be, but I don't think it is. The death of Queen Elizabeth II on Thursday of this week will be one of those news stories that will absolutely eat the press for weeks to come. Yep. We are and now coronation. We are currently sitting on three or four edited op-eds that are ready to go. <laughs> that we're like ready. And... We're like we're going to have the best week back, and then of course this happens. No, of course it does. Absolutely. It's not that what we were going to run was tone deaf. That's not it. It's not like we didn't happen to have an article in Q, which is why Queen Elizabeth is bad. Nothing like that. It just was off tonally. Yeah. Like it's like the, the the news focus just shifted on us, and that's just what that's not like. You know, half of what we do is is a bit of an art. So, and and you, you and I both were just like, well fuck you know? <laughs> like yeah so i'll tell you this uh, we'll actually talk about the substantive um elements of all this but i want to mention this to you i as you know and i think many of the listeners and viewers will know i host a radio show uh weekday mornings on uh, toronto time on on sirius xm satellite and just as i was about to start my show i was already doing show prep we had a loaded show planned we got this bulletin from Buckingham Palace that the do doctors were concerned for her, her, her Majesty's condition, and that the family was gathering. And this will sound selfish, and it is selfish. But my first thought was, I don't want to have her die when I'm on air, yeah. and I don't want to be the guy to make that announcement. And I know that sounds selfish, but in a weird way, I always, always almost mean it in a in a in a humble way or with humility because i don't feel qualified to do that like i have barely been alive half of the like I, I actually did the math on this my entire lifespan is a little bit more than 50 percent of her reign mm. what am i going to say that's going to have any wisdom in a moment like that the bbc brought in their lead correspondent their lead anchor they had all of their experts ready to go I didn't want to be the guy having my producer go, Matt, she's dead. And I'm like, well, ladies and gentlemen, I was fingers crossed. And I think we all knew what was going to happen. I didn't want that happening on my watch. I wanted to witness history, not narrate it. Um, I wouldn't note that that actually was quite sudden. She actually met with uh, the new prime minister, Liz Trust, And like 40, 48 hours later, she dies. So that, that actually, like, 
Um, of course, every news organization has, I mean, except for us, of course, because we're us, <laughs> but uh, you know, they, they have uh, banks of uh, obituaries and content to run when major figures die. So like uh, major news organizations will have already had, you know, Queen Elizabeth dead at XX kind of thing. And they, yeah. you know, they just popped it into the system and went, even so I'm sure everybody was expecting a little bit more lead time than that. Yeah. So that was very inconvenient of the queen. Let me tell you. I don't, um, know so, if you, I don't know if you saw the Onions article, but it, I know people, this is raw for a lot of people. A lot of people are very emotionally upset by that, and I respect that. But the Onion, the satirical American newspaper, what they did was they published their obit of the Queen written as though it was an evergreen. So that was a joke. It was like, Queen Elizabeth, who died today at insert when known at the age of XXX, has been mourned by Prime Minister, insert name, you know, it's just like, and, and that is a very inside media yeah. joke. Um, so, I mean, I, I was actually uh, traveling all day uh, um, on Thursday. So I was like literally in the air from seven o'clock till sundown. Um, Cause of course I was flying from Calgary to Charlottetown and uh, they actually announced it over the PA on the plane, which was kind of interesting. So wow, that is interesting. Yeah. What, how, what did the pilot say? I, it wasn't a pilot, it was, I think it was the lead stewardess, and she was just like, uh, uh, just like to acknowledge the passing of the queen, you know, she was a pillar of the community, and she will be mourned, and uh, blah, blah, blah. What was like, the reaction on the on the flight? How did passengers there wasn't, there wasn't a strong reaction. You know, I think it's so interesting, because, uh, of course, the, the, the number of people who have any kind of living memory of the monarch passing, the protocols, how you're supposed to react okay well what now like there's just nobody there, there's just relatively few people left who have a living memory of how you're supposed to react <laughs> you know we're like well well now what i mean i was even texting with another person who um in parliament member of parliament who is also supposed to be here and she's like i we don't know if I, I can come now and you know we don't know what the protocol we're actually waiting on protocol to find out what the process is now because i mean as a member of the commonwealth do they have to go back to ottawa does parliament have to be in session like nobody knew like it just hadn't and of course they you know they can't actually pre-plan this because if you pre-plan the death of the queen that's an act of treason so like protocol would forbid that but like so people are seriously pulling out 70 year old protocol books being like okay now we do this there's there's so. a degree of pre-planning like i know at parliament and the provincial legislatures there are um black armbands for certain staff, uh, memorial books to be signed, uh, black curtains to be draped over portraits. So like there is, there is a something of a process. And uh, one of, one of my colleagues in Ontario had said, you know, tucked in a back room at, at Queens park, our boxes labeled simply mourning, like M O U R N I N G. Um, yeah. And, and needed to be pulled out and activated. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I did wrap up my radio show and I, to be honest with you, I suspect Her, Her Majesty died while I was on the air, but they withheld the notification. That's what the timeline suggests to me. So I'm grateful to the palace on that one. I had stuff to do. Um, like it was a normal Thursday for me. And in Ontario, our kids are just back to school this week. So it's been a hectic, hectic week. And I was running household errands. I was doing work. I wrote a column, which was just was going to be for publication elsewhere and it got totally ruined by this because the news events overtook it but i had the bbc on and my dad actually stopped by uh he uh needed need my help with a quick summit we had to just go over a couple documents and just as we were sitting down on the couch it was announced and we just kind of both sat there for a minute i went wow 
70 years. You know, it's not just that we've, you and I have never not lived under Queen Elizabeth II. My dad hasn't either. My mom hasn't. I don't know how old your parents are, but I think they're. No. They, no. And, yeah. and and the people who maybe have technically have no very little living memory no. of living under a king. So, I mean, I think there's a couple interesting points to make about this. And I don't want to rehash the cliche or the hackney stuff that has all, all been published, but it's necessary. I'm not criticizing it. It's, it's there, there's, there's a necessary amount of sort of. Uh, stuff that needs to happen there so that's fine that's part of the collective ritual that we all go through um but i do think there's there's a couple of things that that are worth commenting on when it comes to the queen the first is that there's been a lot of very lazy contrarianism particularly on twitter saying well i hope that bitch rots in hell she led the imperialist empire blah 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 blah. and i say that that is very lazy easy stupid contrarianism it's not good contrarianism it's dumb contrarianism because bluntly Getting angry at a constitutional monarch, a figurehead for the British imperialism, really is a waste of time. I can't even begin. Her, her ability to control British policy on any kind of minute detail. No, guys. Nah. No. And you're not defending the policy. We're just saying yeah, you got to blame the people actually responsible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Queen Elizabeth was not was not you know leading massacres in new rhodesia here like 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 that was not her role and that was never her role um uh her role her, the power that she has is extremely constrained to very specific um uh, circumstances and 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 times and priorities and no no guys um secondly if you pay attention to the dates queen elizabeth ii actually oversaw the decline and wrapping up of the British Empire. <laughs> so she oversaw the end of the imperial realm uh, and the transition of that imperial realm into a commonwealth, which was a, a voluntary organization. So I don't know what to tell you, man. Like you're 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 pointing your angry finger at the wrong dead monarch here. Like that's just silly. Uh, you know, um, Stephen Marr, uh, who who writes for us from time to time, and we love to have him, I think made an interesting point where he says he personally feels as though a lot of the criticism is misplaced, but it's probably strategic timing. The controversy will draw attention to the arguments about imperialism and colonialism. Oh, sure. and anti- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. But it still reads like, honestly, if I thought that it were as intelligent as strategic timing, I'd be more sympathetic to it. But mostly to me, it comes off as just kind of dumb, poorly thought out, stupid contrarianism, smarmy contrarianism. It doesn't strike me as like, I have real principled objections to imperialism and this is my moment to strike. All right. Like, I'm not getting that vibe from a lot of it. I'm getting a lot of all of you people are grieving. I know this is my moment to poke a finger in it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it, that it, it. You're right, and I find that very interesting. So, my thoughts on this, I got a few thoughts on this, but on this one, this is a two-track process. We have to understand this moment in history in two ways: the history of the institutions of the British Empire and the British monarchy, sure. the biography which, which the Queen, which the Queen embodied, absolutely, but sure. also the biography of Elizabeth II, who yeah. was a human being with an interesting life who lived in interesting times. And I think most reasonable people who are not yelling at each other on Twitter or in, in hot take essays actually don't have a problem. Like I think sometimes the way we absorb information now suggests more controversy than actually exists. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of people out there 
who are going to struggle to keep these two thoughts in their brain at the same time. Yeah, Elizabeth was an interesting person and maybe even one we would like and admire. The monarchy is an institution has a lot to answer for. Like yes. this is, we, yeah, exactly. and I've told you this before, we've talked about these on these podcasts before. Many of our debates today are stupid and yeah. it is smart people pretending to be stupider than they are so yeah. that they can advance a maximalist position on an issue that is actually nuanced. Yeah. I'm not here to defend the monarchy or colonialism or imperialism or anything like that, nor am I here to deny any of the crimes committed by the expansion during the expansion of the British Empire, including well into the 20th century. What I am saying is that we can agree on all those things and also look at Elizabeth as an interesting historical figure. Most people get this. You know, the thing, what I want to mention to you. Oh, though, yeah. You- and I, I want to say, like, you know what? The lazy contrarianism of Twitter, I don't want to, like, overemphasize it because I realize it is, you know, whatever. You know what? Lazy Twitter contrarianism has a habit of overspilling into the real world, though. Like, there will be essays there, and think pieces. There and- will, yeah, you know, like, okay. like the new, like, uh, the Jacobin or something will, is, is going to run some god-awful essay to this effect. Oh, I wouldn't be shocked if some of our newspapers do, because they'll want to show True. both sides. Yeah. I will say this, though. I told you this before we started rolling today. The Queen, having passed away, is going to be like a debate over removing a statue over a guy who's racist, but like on mega steroids, but it's all the same issues. Like the, the the queen is a unusually high profile example of the same instincts of where we as a society have not figured out how to balance history versus contemporary social and, and, and cultural norms versus whether or not someone can be appalling by the standards of today, even if they were an agent of progress in their time. These are all nuanced debates that I actually, again, I think real people can have them, but I don't think you'll find many of them here. Uh, The other thing about the queen, you and I laughed about this earlier. The, why can't we just quit the monarchy takes are already starting. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but folks read a constitution, like just. The amount of time and trouble it would take to remove the queen is just too much. And not only that, but I kind of side with Colby Kosh on this one when he's read, written in the past. The fringe constitution, uh, our Republican take is not going to survive a big showy coronation. I just, it, I just, oh, I think- that, I remember I think him that, writing that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's right. And you know what, like you, there, there will be a moment for like 20 or 30 people of reasonable prominence to talk about, well, maybe we should take this opportunity and then someone is going to be like okay here's what we would have to practically do like here's the technical process for removing becoming a republic and then someone's going to make the point the very obvious point that like of all the nations that are governed in the world if you were to take uh like the top 10 how many of them are constitutional monarchies and maybe that's not a coincidence and no maybe it's not the system we would design today but sometimes the systems we have are that way for a reason and then someone's, and then the coronation is going to come and the coronation is going to be big and showy and it's going to be weird and mystical and like people are not going to be able to pull their eyes away from it. And then we're going to be living in a country that has uh, been headed, technically headed by a king and we're all going to move on. I can still remember to this day, the footage of, I was about to say the Prince of Wales, but I should rephrase that, King Charles III flanked by his two sons, including, the, as of several hours ago, the Prince of Wales, 
marching down the street for Princess Diana's funeral. And I'm, I've never been a royal watcher. I've never been passionate about the monarchy. I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But I still remember that because I remember the show. Yep. And there are going to be uh, some very smart people in this country who are going to be right now like, this is the moment to reevaluate our relationship with an archaic institution. And there will be hundreds of those people, maybe thousands. Meanwhile, there will be millions or tens of millions of people who will be tuning in to see the hats they wear as they march through London and the, the military horses will be beautiful and the speeches and the peers will be dressed immaculately and we will be talking about the outfits for and and there will be massive massive conversations about the symbolism of the ceremony and there will be tens of millions of people shedding a tear for how stoically King Charles III will march behind his mother's hearse or whatever I don't know how they're going to do this Meanwhile, of course, those few thousand nerds in this country will be like, but we could be a republic, and the moment will pass them. The other thing I would just say, and I want to follow on your point about this, you talked about the complexity of changing to a republic. I actually think it's worse than that. I have no faith in current Canadian political culture, politicians, leaders, and the, the broad array of our institutions to actually do that work. And what I was saying to someone earlier who was saying to me, no, 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 Matt, we're a grown-up country. We can do this. I said, okay. No, we're not. <laughs> so let's put Pierre Polyev, Justin Trudeau, and Jagmeet Singh in a room together, and we'll, we'll let them out when they can come up with a proposal for constitutional reform that will satisfy Quebec and Alberta at the same time. Great. Perfect. That's all we got to do. Just yeah, get Trudeau, Polyev, all, and Singh right? to come up sure. with a new proposal that will keep Alberta and Quebec happy at the same time. How about we have other problems? right now not only do we have other problems this is a problem or a challenge or whatever you want to call it that i truly believe we are incapable of solving oh, we are very sure. lucky to have the british monarchy because without it we would have to replace it and i don't think we could no, and i was saying not. to someone earlier they asked me are you a monarchist and i said yes but not the way you mean and he said well what do you mean by that i said i'm a monarchist but i don't collect the commemorative plates i don't keep up with royal gossip i don't think about the the late queen or our new king but i know they're there and they thank god they are because it lets us dodge political conversations this country is not mature enough to have yep. and i i wish i could be more cheerful all right let's That's there's one other quick note i would make about the queen and that oh, is just the degree the well the degree to which we are going to look back on so she's oh, she becomes yes. queen in 1952 and she dies in 2022 we are going to look back on this as being the second Elizabethan age, I think, as Colby has put it. Um, but secondly, this is also timing that is going to co coincide with what you and I have been calling the last, the golden age, essentially, in, in terms of the prosperity of the West and the, and, and the political and, and uh, economic dominance of the West. It almost perfectly matches her lifespan, even well, if it also matched the decline of the um, British imperial power, British yeah. Britain as an imperial power. You know, this is a, the, you know, we had almost unmitigated growth prosperity and um and and improving health outcomes for almost everyone under uh a, a british or english realms i would include america under that even of course it's not a monarchy it's a republic um and her death is going to coincide with a period of a lot of instability and turbulence charles the third is comes to the comes to the throne considerably older than his mother which means of course you know he'll have a 10 you, 20 year reign tops that's right. I yeah. mean, I you, I do not wish to commit uh, treason, but I will note that this will probably not, this will be the first coronation I've ever experienced, but it probably won't be the last. Um, 
And his reign is also going to coincide with a high degree of, of uh, geopolitical instability and financial instability. So, you know, this is actually one of the real values of monarchy. It's the way that it sort of personifies time and state, you know. Um, so anyway, I just think that that's going to be an interesting thing to observe uh, with the benefit of history, the hindsight, benefit of the hindsight of history. So to add to that, and again, like you, um, God save the queen and long may he reign, but he is God 70 save the king and long may he, may he reign. He is 73 years old. And if he were to have a reign as long as his now late uh mother the, the now departed her, her majesty elizabeth ii charles iii would reign until he was 143 so that's not going to happen meanwhile the prince of wales william is 40 years old just turned 40 a couple of months ago so it is possible and this is purely speculative and again long may he reign but if the king has say 20 years on the throne 25 years we will have william the prince of wales becoming king at a at a younger age already so yeah the king charles the third um his majesty will have almost necessarily an interesting historical age you you were talking a little bit about the lifespan on the on as as queen of elizabeth 1952 to 2022 of course that's not her lifespan that's her her uh, her time on the throne yes and i was thinking about western dominance culturally militarily economically politically you could i mean i think all historians agree that western dominance began in 1945 i mean you could argue it began during the war but like the 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 post second world war international order even during the heights of the cold war the west was incredibly powerful and for us in north america this coincided with unbelievable gains in material wealth life expectancy um literally like basically on every human achievement metric we've been kicking ass since 1945 yeah, that's right and i've that's remember that column i wrote late last year our expectations are a problem right like we've been on a winning streak as a civilization we, we, we've, we've normalized a historical anomaly bingo so that anomaly for our purposes begins largely in 1945 i don't know if it's over I don't know well, if and, it, and future historians may debate uh, debate this within five or yeah. five to seven years anyway so like you know but I think we are at the very least heading into an era of contested dominance yeah. and our, our home. I, I'm, I find fascinating the issue of when did it go bad? And a lot yeah. of Americans will lazily say 2016, the rise of Trump, mega, all that stuff. I think you could also make a case for the 2008 financial crisis. Like, mm-hmm. so we'll yeah. leave this to the historians. But, but I, I'm you, just saying that the, the, I don't think I think it would be interesting, just an interesting historical coincidence if we look back and say golden ages seem to coincide with yep. monarchs who were named Elizabeth. Yeah, and by for historical purposes, even if future historians conclude that kind of the post forty five era ended in say two thousand and eight. Yeah. Well, Which they'll spot us in fourteen years. Like they'll go, yeah. all right. So yeah. Elizabeth uh, outperformed a little bit because of good health, but yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Um. This is related to what we've been talking about uh, with the Queen. We're talking a little bit about real-world effects of this. One of the weird things that kind of put the zap on my brain this week is that currently right now on the high seas, there are a series of His Majesty's Canadian ships. Hmm. And like, yeah. like we're, we're going to have to get used to all this stuff. There's Court of King's Bench now. Court of King's Bench, yeah. And um, you were talking about, and uh, you're, you're maybe going to do a little writing on this anyway. We'll, we'll see how this works out, but... 
one of the first casualties of this was the planning for the conservative leadership race, which was, yeah. well, we're going to publish this podcast probably Friday tomorrow, and yeah. the full dispatch tomorrow. So the, the leadership announcement will be Saturday. We'll just keep it that yeah. way. Let's, 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 assume, let's assume let's, let's just be like, we're going to, we're going to talk about this as if the official results have not yet come in. Well, I mean, so, so it'll happen, but you know, we're, not, we're, not we're, going, we're not going to pretend as if that yeah. were otherwise. They're going to have to rethink how they do this. They've already said as much because yeah. when the sovereign dies, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and you can't really have like massive celebratory circumstances in, in, in that kind of situation. So I think it's going to be a much more muted, much more toned down uh, leadership announcement. I think that the odds that it will not go to Sheree are non-existent, or sorry, that will not go to Polyev is, is non-existent. Yeah. I think that he's got this wrapped up in the bag and we're all moving on. I'm going to be writing a column about this for another outlet, which I will be announcing and talking about shortly, but for now, and I think that the, the, the theme of that column is going to be the war is over. I think that this is the, the, the war between the centrist um, uh, cocktail circuit red Tory lot and the more populist Western based uh, conservative base has definitively ended and the centrists lost what um, yeah you know what i'm not gonna question your thesis or bigfoot your column but i i wrote that column for us almost exactly a year ago i think it ended okay, a year yeah. ago i think everything since has been mopping up fair enough well yeah. i might just go back and sort of like <laughs> rewrite what you wrote a year ago that um was mine is yours uh but yeah i mean i i don't know if there's much else to add to this for the purposes of the line um, I think that right now, I think the question is if you're, if, if you're us and you're looking to the future, what are you looking toward? You're looking toward whether or not, um, Polyev can, I think actually the real question is whether or not Polyev can expand the Overton window for conservatism generally. Um, I think that he can, I think if he gets a strong definitive, a successful win and he actually unites caucus behind him, which I suspect is in the cards for tomorrow, uh, and he manages to then part, take the momentum for that into a majority government or even a minority government, he has massively expanded the government, the, the, the conservative mandate. And by that, I mean, yeah. I don't mean necessarily that we're going to be talking about banning abortion, but I think there are things on the table for Polyev that were never on the table for Harper. I think he can go CBC mandate review. I think he can cut subsidy to media. I think he can talk about serious tax pay, tax reform. I think that there's all kinds of stuff that is on the table for him that would have been considered radical for Harper. Yeah. You know, it's something I've talked about on this podcast and I know, I know, you know, this, but I want to put this out for our, our fans. Um, when we talk about conservatives in this country, we're talking about three separate groups. And I don't mean like cranky Quebec nationalists versus Westerners. No, I mean, there's three different groups. Pierre Polyev has to worry about a caucus actual elected sitting conservative MPs and he's got them in the bag and he has since the beginning ever since Aaron O'Toole was purged with that um, reform act vote it's been obvious to me and talk to any conservative MP who'll answer the phone for you these days which I assume is most of them because you're so charming they will tell you caucus is overwhelmingly behind Pierre Polyev even a year ago when Aaron O'Toole got purged and I was speaking with some of the O'Toole people in the aftermath of that they were stunned at the size of the vote. Like they were worried, they were defensive. But when the final tally came in, they could not believe how badly they had lost. Hmm. Caucus is with Pierre Polyev. Base conservatives, members of the party, well, 
we're going to find out on Saturday, but I don't expect this to be a close race. Yeah. So I think we're going to find out. This is not going to be the 13th ballot. We see who comes up, comes up the back. The only other thing I will say is that that third group are voters who will or may vote conservative. And that is who Pierre Polyev is going to have to win over here. I think the party will line up behind him. The party, as far as I can understand, is in pretty good shape, like fundraising, marketing, yeah. all that stuff's in good shape, um, as are the liberals. So we got two battle-ready machines here. Um, I don't know if Pierre Polyev will unite the conservative Canadian, which is not the same thing as the caucus or the party. But I also think the wild card is going to be Will there be a liberal fatigue, throw the bums out, Polyev will do sentiment? I don't know. But if that takes shape, and it's funny, years ago, my 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 dad getting a second shout out on the podcast, uh, my dad came back from his barber where we were growing up and where I was growing up or in, in Richmond Hill, Ontario. And he told me Harper's going to beat Martin. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, all the barbers are liberals and they're all voting Harper because they're tired of the liberals. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay. Like, and I actually trust little anecdotal indicators like yep. that more than I do polling sometimes. And yep. I haven't sensed a groundswell of throw the liberals out, but we've written this twice now in dispatches. There is a whiff of that in the air. And we'll see. There if totally that... is. And not only that, but even if it's not the barbers are, are voting conservative, I do think that there is a significant amount of I'm not, I'm staying home because I can't bring myself to vote for this guy again. And that might be all the conservatives need. You know, like we, we've talked about on the line before how thin the last election success actually was. And in many places, how few people actually just needed to stay home. And you got a totally different parliament today. So 30 or 40 ridings moved 2%, and Aaron O'Toole is probably prime minister today. He would have had a minority. So there's always the shenanigans that come in here. The other wild card, we're not going to have time to get into this in the dispatch, but I, I tweeted this the other day. Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, apparently announcing at this cabinet retreat at West that got totally derailed by uh, the sad news about Her Majesty. Um, he has said he intends to run again. And I know there's a lot of received conventional wisdom out there that, oh, he's already had three kicks at the can. He gets a fewer votes every time. That's true. But I still think he's the better bet. I still, well, I think, I think it's too late to do much change. Like if they were going to change horses, they would have needed to change it last year. I have been staring at something for three months now. Uh, it's oh. been, it's been hurting my eyes. Um, it's not you. Don't worry. Um, I would never do that. Um, the podcast listeners are going to be very confused. Uh, <laughs> um, the uh, no, the writings in Ontario in the recent election uh, provincially that went for Doug Ford after having gone for uh, mm. Justin Trudeau. And mm. I've been talking with friends about this and I'm trying to dragoon a couple of buddies into writing about this. Cause I think we could get an interesting uh, jointly bylined piece. If they can, if they can agree to this. I have had conservatives tell me, and I've had liberals tell me this, that they think their vote floor in Ontario has dropped. So traditionally, mm. even in a wipeout election, you would think that the liberals will always get, call it 30% the vote in Ontario. That, that's, a, that's a ballpark number. Don't quote me on that. Conservatives and liberals are telling me that they think that has dropped. Hmm. And what they're telling me is that the 2021 federal election was that lower level of liberal base support 
plus the particular talent and appeal of Justin Trudeau. What does that mean? It means he wins the greater Toronto area and holds his minority. Stephen Del Duca, the recently departed Ontario Liberal leader, does not have that. Hmm. He performed at the new Liberal floor. What does that mean? Doug Ford's supermajority. Mm-hmm. So what I have yet to figure out, what was the anomaly? Was 2021 where Liberal support naturally is and Aaron O'Toole did well? Or was Doug Ford showing us what Liberal support actually is? So what's the wild card here? Is Justin Trudeau or Doug Ford the person pulling their party up? The answer to that will determine our next federal election. Well, and the other thing I think that people underestimate is how many people held their noses and voted for the Liberals in order to get childcare. In 2021? Yeah. I think the childcare promise saved his bacon. That's interesting. See, my, my analysis of that last election was that the conservatives won the first three weeks, the liberals rallied and stalemated them. And then no one won after that. So no, when I, I agree, no, sorry, I, I'll rephrase that. I agree with your analysis on that one. Okay. So we're back. We've just made a trim in this. Cause what were you just choking on? Was that a walnut? Oh, no, it was a coconut piece. I'm a sorry. coconut piece. Okay. Um, the liberals did two things at once. They did roll out family friendly, particularly women friendly policies. Childcare is a big one. And they spectacularly wedged the conservatives on guns, and the conservatives weren't ready. Well, uh, cons- guns, abor- guns, abortion, guns and abortion, and vaccines. They, they, they that that managed to to, to stall the downward, the embarrassing downward um, uh, spiral for them was the wedge issues, and then I think they managed to eke just enough support back on childcare to uh, 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 secure basically the same parliament they they dissolved. Yeah. So that I think is what happened, but I don't, I, I think childcare actually played a pretty big role in that. Conservatives and liberals alike have agreed with me that the big wedging on vaccines, guns, abortion didn't lose the conservatives any support. The conservatives held every inch of terrain they'd taken, but it killed their momentum. So yeah, after right. Labor Day, when the liberals rallied, O'Toole didn't make it one, one more inch forward. And yeah. all right, um, RCMP. So this week, in a story that probably, if not for the Queen having passed away, would have completely eaten the Canadian uh, news cycle, was obviously the horrific attack in Saskatchewan, 11 dead and 18 wounded. Uh, We don't know, in in typical Canadian fashion, we still don't know a lot about that. Like, there's a lot of the timeline we don't understand. What we do know is that both suspects are dead. And we know that one of them died after being arrested and died in police custody. This isn't good. The RCMP, I think, in some ways performed better this time uh, than they did in Nova Scotia in 2020. I was in I was in uh, Calgary and I got the, the emergency alert that there was something going down. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, we zapped her uh, big time just a couple of weeks ago in our dispatch. National RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky, under uh, when giving testimony, had commented that. The, the RCMP has not mandated any changes since the uh, since the tragedy of, of 2020 in Nova Scotia. Yeah. You and I jumped on that because that's bad. Like, yeah, how yeah, long yeah. do you need to make structural, like, Very changes basic. to equipment and doctrine and training and tactics? Uh, apparently, you need a, a, more than two years in this country, even after a massacre. 
But what that which Saskatchewan showed me is that even if there hasn't been any official changes in doctrine, training, policy, and procedure, local commanders in Saskatchewan said, I'm not getting my ass hung out by not triggering this emergency alert. So that's good. Individual initiative can partially offset institutional failures. But the big thing that jumps out at me, Jen, is that there is an open question now about what happened to this guy in police custody. And I do not believe that this happened, but let me tell you the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. The police killed this guy. Yeah, that's the worst case scenario. And I do not believe that's what happened. But there are people who are already thinking that's what happened. Or the other alternative would be he overdosed or cut his own wrist and they just... They were distracted weren't uh, so hurried in such a rush to let him save himself yeah now i don't really want to get into that possibility and why i think that possibility is happening because i do think there is a, a broader meta conversation about that but we don't have enough details just we just don't even have enough details to know whether or not that was plausible i agree but what i will say is that this is a moment when the rc can you hear my dog barking by the way i don't know if that's no, coming through the microphone no, boy is he ever going nuts upstairs i wonder if there's a bee in the house again um This is a moment when the RCMP would benefit from two things, clear, effective, and widely respected national level uniformed leadership and an expectation and belief among the population that there is effective government oversight of our federal police force. And given the tire fire of the RCMP lately, we have neither of those things. We have credible allegations that the police force that is currently responding to this disaster in Saskatchewan was being interfered with by our federal government. I have no faith in our federal government having effective oversight over this police force. We also have a national RCMP commissioner who who has overtly said, yeah, I made mistakes, man. I wish I could mulligan that one. Would have loved to be able to do that one over. There has been no change in leadership at the top and the canadian people have been given absolutely nothing that would lead them to believe that the rcmp is any better than it was two years ago tell me like this is a heritage minute like put this on the money we we have a space available now so let's just put this on the back of the 20 dollar bill that being said do you think enough people are going to care about this dude if 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 in the hypothetical scenario we're talking about where the RCMPs killed him or allowed him to die, do enough people actually think that that was a bad outcome, that they are going to be net as outraged as they ought to be in that scenario? I mean, it's you're asking... interesting question. No, it, it is the interesting question, but you're also asking me the question of my entire career. Like, I've been writing for 15 years that our military was not prepared for a variety of contingencies. And since 2020, we've had a sequence of them parade across our, our news tickers. And I can tell you in 15 years of having been trying to warn people that we're sitting ducks, no one gave a shit. Well, so here's, here's where I get into probably dangerous speculation territory because it's again, I'm going to mark the time down in case I need to to mark the time down in case you need to cut this later. Um, because I mean, let's put the most, let's just operate on the assumption the most plausible scenario is that the guy died of an overdose or something to that effect. Everybody acted professionally, uh, but they just couldn't happen to save the guy. Okay. Let's just say that's the most plausible. Well, the plausible scenario is that he, when he was arrested, he was already in some form of He was of already in distress. some form of medical distress. Okay. Sure. Maybe, maybe that was, that was the, the most possible. 
the next possibility is that he was in medical distress and the Narconon. Jen, or can you maybe, repeat that, please? You completely and, broke sorry, up there. And maybe they were a little slow with the Narconon. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, maybe they just weren't in such a rush to save this shithead. Worst case scenario is they just, they killed him. And if it's the latter two scenarios, I'm saying if it's the latter two scenarios, because we really don't have the details enough to be able to speculate that it could, that it, that it was, but. Nor do we wish you know, to be sued by the RCMP. Nor do we wish to be sued by the RCMP. I would have made some observations. And that is the Supreme Court of Canada recently ruled that consecutive life sentences with no hope for parole is inhumane mm -hmm. treatment. I would note that you have a person who has been convicted what, 59 times, including of serious violent assaults. I would make note of things like the Gladue principles. I would make note of the numerous cases of individuals who have committed violent crimes, claimed NCR or drug abuse, and wound up serving very light sentences in places like healing lodges, which are basically not particularly secure um, locations. And I would make the observation that in scenarios where people have lost faith in the justice system to deliver actual justice, the inevitable human response is vigilantism. And I would just leave that observation there. I, I Look, I don't think we're going to get sued for saying any of that. Um, okay. I've been wrong before, uh, but I don't think we'll get sued for saying any of that um and i'm not this is not me this is not me saying that vigilantism is great or any of this is appropriate because no. i mean when you move into it, vigilantism is definitely a shitty the shittier alternative here like we don't want that that is that is a system that lacks due process and proper oversight over cops that's a bad system wow big neon lights is that ever a bad sign uh, i'm saying that we have made some choices as a society about how we treat dangerous offenders and i think that some of those choices might lead a significant portion of the public to be highly tolerant of simply letting certain people die in certain circumstances i don't know if that's what happened in this case no i mean to be honest with you my guess and it's purely a guess is that i don't think it is what happened in this case my gut probably like, not my gut feeling is that this gentleman was indeed in medical distress at the time of his arrest. And, and the reason like, this is me being not defensive of the RCMP, but I, this is me thinking that the typical cop out in the field is probably not going to be the guy who wants to have this guy die on his watch. So I think kind of the ass covering reflex alone would counteract a lot of the conspiracies, but to your broader point, I agree with you entirely. We talk a lot about institutions, um, struggling institutions, institutional failure in this country, and we do it in full knowledge that civilization is fragile. And in the absence of these institutions, as imperfect as they are, something else would replace that vacuum. The alternatives are sorry, would fill the vacuum. Sometimes, sometimes the institutions are not as we would design them in a perfect scenario, but sometimes the institutions are what they are for a reason, because the alternatives are worse. Yep. And okay. the reason I'm a conservative in a, in a non-political sense, because I think the conservatives are nuts right now, but the reason I consider myself a personal conservative is because I do not believe human nature changes. I believe what changes is the institutions we use to constrain human nature. And in the absence of effective institutions, human nature reasserts itself. There are parts of the world, and any civilization has previous examples of this, 
where Jen, for, forgive me for, for the blunt language here, but if, if you were to be raped or hurt, it would be expected that your husband would simply kill the offender. Yes. I mean, most the, for most of human society, justice consisted of blood feud and, and, and tribalism. Yeah. That's, we, that's the norm. It's not a good norm. Yep. It, Bad norm. That, we moved away from that for reasons. Or that crimes committed are not committed against individuals, but against family and can be compensated for with payments to In families. Some places, like, that still is the case. Blood sure. libel is the, is the, uh, is the norm. When, money. when we, Jen, just for the record, I've lost your video feed here. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's like, fine. You lost my video feed on purpose because I'm getting ready for this dinner thing. Oh, okay. Well, well, carry on then. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. And institutions are precious because it's very difficult to replace them on the fly with other ones that will work. All right. So that's, that, right. that, that's RCMP. Uh, you, if you have killed your video so that you can get dressed for this dinner, you're going to the conference. Um, we're probably we're running out of time. Um, yep. The other thing you want to talk about Russia. So can you sum it up, sum up Russia for me in like five minutes? I can sum it up in less than that. All right. The queen, for obvious reasons, has eaten the news cycle this week. But I actually think something remarkable is happening in uh, the Ukraine war right now. I will be able to explain this in a less jargony way when I have time to write it out. But the Ukrainians seem to have achieved a multi-sector breakthrough of Russian lines, particularly in the north. Um the Ukrainians are actually in a position uh, on the ground based on the available information. Not only have they made gains in the in the scores of kilometers of retaking ground and liberating villages, they're also directly threatening Russian supply lines. Which is and what's awesome, very good for them. It, th this No, I mean, yeah, this is good for them. They are winning a historic military victory on the ground right now in, uh, in, the, in the Kharkiv region of uh, northeastern Ukraine. It is a classic kind of mobile warfare operation they're conducting on, on the textbook NATO would have tried to use against the Soviets back in the day. There are two things I want to flag for you, uh, the readers, the listeners, and the viewers. One, to date, the Russians have been completely unable to, to respond to this, which tells us a couple of things. A, Russian air power is no longer tactically determinative. B, <laughs> The Russians have not been using their their nominal or notational artillery strength, which suggests that the Russian artillery uh, is a spent force. C, Russian command and control has not been able to adapt to the changing realities on the ground. D, the quality of Russian units, who some of which are apparently surrendering after only token resistance. And some of these are proxy units. These are not necessarily Russian armed forces. These could be locally raised militias is mm -hmm. low. I don't know which of those things is the most important factor. It could be all of them in some combination. But what it fundamentally comes down to is I don't see any sign that the Russians are capable of stopping what the Ukrainians are doing. This leads me to the second consideration. The thing that has scared me the most for this entire conflict has been what happens in the prospect of an outright Russian collapse or defeat. That has been an abstract concern for most of the war. Unless the Russians can find some way of stopping the, uh, the Ukrainian advance in the Northeast, and if the Ukrainians put ground forces on these main Russian supply lines, we might find out very quickly what is about to happen. Because when the Ukrainians are done in this sector, they're already advancing in the South. And if they can pivot their forces to the South, where they've already been hitting logistics targets, I know this sounds incredible, 
but we might actually see the Russian invasion of Ukraine collapse. And this could be days. We're not talking weeks or months. I expect this conflict to continue in some form for some time, but the kind of breakthroughs the Ukrainians are making right now are enormous. And I don't know what the Russians are going to try to do to stop this. Well, and that becomes that that becomes your question. And of course, we we have we we know what the risk is here and what the concerns are because I believe it was with the um, uh, head of the Ukrainian military who said, "Look, we're about to make serious advances, and we are concerned that the Russians are going to use tactical moves as a response." The yeah, the 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 commanding uh, general of the Ukrainian armed forces just days ago. You're absolutely right, and we'll 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 link to this in our dispatch overtly went out of his way to signal the West that he fears a Russian nuclear response. And that is not the kind of thing that uh, that someone in his position would just go out and say publicly on a whim. Let's just put it that way. That was a very calculated statement. Some comments are made publicly, but for an audience of like one or a very small number of people, yeah. this audience was aimed very specifically at the NATO governments, which yeah. is to say that we're FYI. about to we're about to do something to the Russians that is going to panic them. Yeah. And two days after that interview where the Ukrainians warned specifically that they feel they are at risk of being nuked, the Ukrainians launched this ground offensive. And I, I'll see if I can find a GIF because uh, there are some animated maps that are showing the speed of the advance. But, oh, my God, the Ukrainians have punched through in the Northeast and the Russians can't stop. That's so. Crazy. That's, I mean, good for the Ukrainians, um, maybe bad for the world, but, you know, that's amazing. What an interesting time we live in. All what right. What an well, interesting time we live in. Okay. Well, that's quite, that's quite the, the, the chonky dispatch I have to work through. Um, you, for uh, some logistical reasons, I'm going to take the queen. You're going to take uh, leadership. Do you want, I mean, I don't have a lot to say about the RCMP. You're at, look, you're at, you're at a nice ritzy uh, event. I will do Russia, RCMP and uh, leadership. You do the queen. The queen her, herself is or do you want hand? Do you want me to? Yeah, I'll do leadership, RCMP, in Russia. If you do the big meaty, oh, you're back, and yeah, as beautiful as the day I met you. Um, if you want to do the queen, but that I think that'll be the meaty part of the dispatch. Why don't we do that? I'll do all the secondary ones. Okay, so I'll do the I'll do the queen, and that'll be the big meat one. Okay, cool. Um, and we're gonna send this out on Saturday because everything is a little bit crazy right now. Yeah, should we send the podcast out tonight, or should yeah, we? Yeah, we'll send the podcast out tonight. That's fine. I don't even mind sending the video podcast out tonight. That's no big deal. Yep. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us and Jen on her mission of personal grooming. Is that a yeah? Well, I mean, you know, I don't. Yeah, it, it's it's a curling iron. Um, yeah, no, it's very exciting to me to be able to be in an event where I'm actually socializing with adults. This is a big deal for me. It wears off. <laughs> um, so I always knew growing up what a curling iron was. I was a married man when I discovered what a straightening iron was, and I discovered it the hard way. I was like, "Hey, what's this device?" picked it up it was with you hindsight it was stupid um, yeah no we, we are feeble and helpless well okay i will uh, prepare the podcast and you go have a wonderful evening all right will do thanks everybody well folks thank you for listening it's been a long episode but we had a lot to cover some very important stuff this week thank you for your time thank you for your attention for jen gerson i'm matt gurney and this has been the latest episode of the lines experimental podcast